Hey listeners, this episode of Mast Ass is sponsored by Erin's Face's cruelty-free makeup, skincare, and body care. You can find the full range of eco-friendly, all-natural products at their website, erinsfaces.com. That's Erin's Faces, E-R-I-N-S-F-A-C-E-S dot com. And now on with the show. Mark and Sarah talk about songs. They talk, talk, talk about Welcome, everyone, to the special golden anniversary 50th episode of Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs. I am your host, Mark Blankenship, and with me on this podcasting odyssey for the 50th, 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 50th time is my ultimate golden girl. She is Blanche, Rose, Sophia, and Dorothy to my stan, Sarah D. Bunting. Oh, hello. <laughs> hello. So, um, <laughs> this Indigo Jubilee <laughs> that we are about to undertake uh, for our very special 50th episode of Mast Ass is a ranking of the Indigo Girls self-titled album. I don't remember how I came up with this idea. I think I might have been on one of my hashtag old lady walks and <laughs> Closer to Fine came on. Closer to Fine, which I think, I'm not sure if iTunes tabulates this, but I think if you go back and look at the um, least skipped songs in my library, Closer to Fine is, if not at, at the top, then in the top five of songs that I never skip. Um and it just seemed like a it just seemed like a perfect idea for us and for a special episode having been doing this for over a year now 50 episodes is a big deal given how many times i literally cried in despair trying to edit our very first episode <laughs> I, f- I feel like we've come a long way uh not for nothing there is a kind of bunting called an indigo bunting Ooh. so it's all a circle of love um but yeah we have been obsessing about this episode since we decided to do it like two months ago um so before we begin mark do you have any chart or other facts that we should know going into these rankings Okay, I, yeah, I, okay, yes. I feel like I have to provide some kind of context for the listeners, particularly those who did not know me between the years of 1993 and 1998. And Sarah, you may feel compelled to provide some context as well after I get into this. But I guess the way that we need to start is, y'all, I hope that you are not trying to squeeze this episode in on a quick trip to the Walgreens, because I will have some <laughs> shit to say today um i cannot express in hyperbole how much i listened to the indigo girls music from the time that i was a freshman in high school through the time that i was a sophomore in college almost every single major relationship in my life from that period and fortunately many of those people are still in my life but from that period I have an Indigo Girls-related memory for everyone, from my good friend Travis uh, getting some people together for my birthday in my freshman year of college to surprise me with an Indigo Girls concert where they all sat around and sang Indigo Girls songs to me, to my friend Jessica and I when we were in high school walking across the Walnut Street Bridge in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and hearing, like magic on the air, some 
outdoor performance of a cover of the song Mystery from the album Swamp Ophelia and racing toward it because it honestly felt like the world itself was calling us forward to, as I've mentioned on the podcast before, being at the Lilith Fair with my dear friends Laura and Stephanie and hearing Jewel mess up the words to Closer to Fine in a sing-along and realizing at that moment that Jewel was not a person I could ever respect. So I, <laughs> I, to me... I just need... like to say I appreciate yes. that a little shade snuck into that story. I can't help it. I mean, please, look. please continue. Thank you. Um, so, what we're going to be talking about today with these albums, I am of course going to be having some objective critical thoughts, but there is perhaps no group, artist, singers, musicians who are least prone to my objective reasoning who are less prone to my objective reasoning than Indigo Girls. Even Madonna, who is the other great musical force of my life at this time, even her, I was able to, like, just shut down my emotions for a minute and think clearly about her. But the Indigo Girls, for a long time, man, I just listened to them heart first. And I'm actually really excited to talk about them now with the perspective of adulthood because preparing for this episode has taken me on a journey through who I used to be, in a way, and in some ways, who I still am, which we'll talk about later. All of that being said, I think it's important also to note that if you were a liberal-leaning high school or college student, or even maybe middle school student, in 1989 all the way up through about 1996, chances are very good that you were exposed to their music. The Indigo Girls famously lost the Grammy for Best New Artist to Millie Vanilli, which is ridiculous, but they used the springboard of that initial success in the mainstream to create what is a remarkable run of hit albums for artists who never really had any major breakthrough singles on the major pop chart. Now, songs like Closer to Fine, Galileo, and Shame on You did well on certain rock genre charts. But by and large, they were a true album act, meaning that they sent two of their albums into the top ten. That would be uh, Swamp Ophelia and Shaming of the Sun. And they saw their entire catalog of initial albums, all the way from the self-titled album and the re-release of Strange Fire up through Shaming of the Sun, go platinum or multi-platinum, which is a pretty remarkable thing. So they were really at the forefront of an entire wave of popular music written and performed by female folk-inflected artists. And they, in some ways, to my mind, epitomized the entire era because they were the kind of group that everybody knew if you were into this music at all. And that would be my introductory statement. Uh, I love that. Um, You know what let's do before I uh, offer my introductory statement... Let's talk very quickly about what we're doing in case you are new to Market Sarah Talk About oh, Songs right. and you have not heard one of our ranking episodes before. What we do is we go Great through idea. the album in album order. Uh, we rank all the songs as we go. And then at the end, we tabulate our top and bottom two or three. I think because this is a shorter album, we'll do top two and bottom two. Yes. Um so we'll be doing that as we go along. Um, this is, once again, the Indigo Girls self-titled album, which dropped in 89? Correct. 
Okay, this was a, you know, staple of my senior year. I'll talk a little bit about it after we listen to the first song, which, of course, is the one that everyone has heard of, Closer to Fine. Let's listen to a clip of that now. I'm trying to tell you something about my life. Maybe give me insight between black and white. And the best thing you ever done for me to help me take my life less seriously it's only life after all yeah well darkness has a hunger that's insatiable and lightness has a call that's hard to hear and i wrap my fear around me like a blanket I sail my ship of safety till I sank it I'm crawling on your shores And I went to the doctor I went to the mountains I looked to the children I drank from the fountains There's more than one answer to these questions Pointing me in a crooked line And the less I seek my source for some definitive Closer I am to find, yeah. Closer I am to find, yeah. Woo, yes. Oh, man. Whew. So, okay, here is where I'm coming from with this song and sort of this album generally. This uh, album came out when I was a senior in high school. I don't actually know what, uh, what time of year. So rising senior in high school. Uh, I went to girls' school my entire secondary schooling life, as many listeners already know. Um, and there was something about this album, like, it went beyond whether we it was even good or whether we even liked it or not, which I think it is and I do. But to the point where, like, if everybody was, like, taking one car to go to the movies or the diner, we got, like five blocks into some trip somewhere, realized that we were in Jen's car and her tape had melted. This tape? Mm. And we drove to my house and all got in my car instead and left the car. <laughs> because I had a working Indigo tape. I mean, right. that's how... It was just everywhere. And there was something about... Um, I mean, I've seen them in concert a couple times. I saw them... They played at my university when I was in college and of course that got my paper and I was free line, got a huge roar. Um, what I remember mostly about that concert was that my then roommate who had just come out like for real, like not just to me and a couple other people, but like to everyone and was dating one of her hockey coaches and they were somehow they got a seat like on an amplifier and I was down in the pit, and I just remember looking at the two of them, and they were, like, holding hands and just marinating in, like, being the being the sort of simple majority in the room. And mm. I just remember my heart feeling very full because of that. But also, like, going back further, and the way that this album is built, the way that their, song, their voices work together and particularly this song, that it's a very simple and direct song, but it's also an anthem that draws from female strength and only female strength, but it doesn't make a big hoo-ha 
about the femaleness of it. And there Mm. was something that I couldn't have told you about that when I was 16 years old. But that part of it still, I still like sort of feel myself putting on that part of it as a, as a mantle. And also it's just a really fucking good song. Like the harmonies are good. The build is good. I never skip over it. The use of tiny details and shorthand that we're always talking about in the imagery is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, this, the Indigo Girls can walk a knife edge that they don't always stay up on of deep earnestness and seriousness. And even when it doesn't work exactly for me, I still love them. But this is like, this is absolutely the peak of everything that they are and do well. And I adore this song. Well said. Uh, so for me, I actually first really became aware of them when I was a freshman in high school and was standing in the record store on the bottom floor of Hamilton Place Mall in Chattanooga. There used to be a record store on the bottom and the top floor, and you would go to one, and then you would go to the other one, and you would just listen to music in both, and <laughs> it's just how it was. And by this point, I had already discovered certain artists like Tori Amos because she had music videos from Little Earthquakes that were in regular rotation on MTV. But when I was standing in this record store, this was the day or the week that Swamp Ophelia had come out. And so they were playing the album in the store and Least Complicated came on. And I will never forget being stopped in my tracks by the harmonies during the bridge of Least Complicated, the what makes me what makes me think I could start. And then, you know, they're like singing on top of each other. And I just thought that that was really thrilling to hear, and I did not know who it was, and I went and I bought the CD, and I never looked back. And then I realized later that I had actually also bought the cassette single for Galileo two years before that, but had somehow forgotten about it, forgotten about who they were, who knows. That is an excellent song. I think that is actually my all-time favorite Indigo Girls uh, song. It's so good. Galileo? Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it was actually the Swamp Ophelia album that first got me interested in them and that made me go tell all of my friends that they had to listen to this group, Indigo Girls. And so I actually got the self-titled album later and discovered Closer to Fine in my own vacuum. And I ended up being the person in my social circle in middle school, and I should say high school, (coughs) pardon me, who sent out the news about Indigo Girls. So when I was listening to all of these songs, I didn't know anybody else who knew them because I was 14. So for me, the discovery of Closer to Fine, I think I got this album probably, I don't know. I mean, I bought this and I bought um, Nomads, Indians, and Saints, and I bought uh, Rites of Passage all after Swamp Ophelia. So I just don't remember really the first time I heard this song the way that I remember the first time I heard Closer to uh that I heard least complicated, but I remember of how quickly the song became a regular in my life. But one of the things that I have found interesting about preparing for this project is, you know, we often talk about songs that we've heard so much that we almost don't hear them anymore. But uh-huh. somehow, somehow, Closer to Fine has had the opposite effect on me. I actually feel like I hear this song more clearly now than I did when I was a teenager, because there's something about, not something, I know exactly what it is. The, to me, at the time, I was too young 
to grasp what I see as being the essential message of the song, which is that there is no such thing as a single path to enlightenment. There is no such thing as a single answer to the big questions of what you want with your life. And the more that you experience life, the more you realize that there's no one path that you can take. It is a crooked line that makes you feel closer to fine. And I, at the time, was using music like this as my single answer. There was a long time when I thought in some way that listening to music like this, this music that was trying to get at something spiritual, this music that was using intricate harmonies, this music that had liberal politics in it, I thought that those things in a way made me who I was, or at least could give me a guide into how to be the type of person that I was. And there sure. are a lot of there were a lot of people my age, at least in my life, we all basically felt the same way, although I don't think we ever would have been able to articulate it like that at the time. But now I'm older and I can hear and experience what I feel like is a certain amount of actual wisdom in the lyric of this song. And I can have a lot of affection for the kid I used to be because I, just like Emily Saliers, as she writes about herself here, was hungry for something that would give me some sort of purpose. And I had already rejected religion. Uh, That wasn't going to work for a young gay boy in Tennessee because I was being told I had no place there. And I wasn't going to be able to do politics or philosophy or any of that other stuff. And so this music became my answer for a while. And uh, eventually, though, I grew up. And what has been delightful for me to discover is that this song was waiting for me to grow up. But I also want to articulate that one of the things that I find really striking as I remember my first time truly being captured by their music, it was a purely sonic experience and not one of ideas. And that's one of the things that makes so much of their music exciting to me, even when, like you said, the lyrics tip over into almost unbearable earnestness, or I would say a certain self-congratulatory or self-indulgently vague poetry. Uh Even when those things are happening, there tends to be a sonic excitement to the music that also is compelling. So you get this wonderful collaboration between big ideas and big emotion or big visceral experience of the sound of the music. And so you get those two Absolutely. things together. Yeah. And, 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 and that's to me is the Indigo Girls at their best. And that to me is what happens in this song. And it is, has been incredibly meaningful for me to think about this, who I am now and who I was then and how the song has remained so powerful. And I just want to close by saying that when I was doing the prep for this episode, I was listening to, the album a lot around my husband Andrew who wrote our theme song today and he said something to the effect of if you don't like this song I don't know how we would ever be able to really talk to each other (laughs) and I'm like yeah that's about right that's about right so um before we give our rankings I do want to say just to clarify there are 10 songs on this album that means that we have between 1 and 10 points to provide to a song so our number one song will get 10 points our number two song will get nine points etc 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 and for me uh it's going to be really hard to eventually have to give some of these songs a small number of points and i want to just apologize in advance to the songs that receive a smaller number of points Uh, However, Closer to Fine is not a song that will be receiving a small number of points. For me, I have decided that it is the second best song on this album, and I am giving it nine points. Well, um, this uh, episode, in terms of suspense, may in fact be over uh, before it began, if that's the case. Um, 
I did want to point out, like, that there is that, like, first drafty poetryness to some of the songs on this album that you pointed out, and as a first drafty poetry major myself, <laughs> I find that very, like, I have a lot of compassion for it, while also finding it occasionally extremely annoying, as one does a family member, which this al- album basically is to me yes. at this point. But, like, they have... Their problem is always, like, they have that little nugget, like, that little finely turned ankle of a line, like, uh, I woke up with a headache, like, my head against a board. Perfect. Like, yes. absolutely perfect. Like, I can even picture the specific board. <laughs> yes. But then they do- sometimes they just leave all the other, like, stoner garbage that is around it. But who didn't? Um, in this case... Everything about the song works. There is no part of the song that can... It's perfect as it is. There's nothing you can subtract. Even the piccolo, somehow I'm like, hey, piccolo. I know, it's uh, necessary. Cause, and that's the Irish band Hot House Flowers who is playing with them. And for some reason, the Irish influence is totally crucial. Yeah, because there is that like Pied Piper sort of uh, allusion in it true you're sort of following this like um fairy flute sound into the woods anyway um we have a lot of songs to get through so i'm gonna shut up now (laughs) this is my number one song 10 points spoiler (laughs) so yeah but i mean in a way it's like what i mean like in a way if anything other than us putting it this high would have been like a willful lie to try to create false drama in a way yeah probably but so look I think the real drama is going to be on the rest of the metal podium. So let's continue on to our second song on the album, Secure Yourself. We do not have a clip for this one. Um, I merely like this song and do not love it. I feel mm-hmm. like there are... I don't know. I feel like there are a couple of songs on the album that are like each other. And most of them you need, but I feel like this and like, well, we'll get to it later, but this is just sort of like, it's, it's good. And it's also like typical enough of the album and I can sing all the parts well enough that I feel awkward saying that it's inessential, Uh, but I, I feel like maybe it's inessential. And also it's a, it tips over a little bit into that sophomore year-y that yes. we were talking about um is there some reason you didn't call for a clip from this song because neither of us did you basically just spoke the true words of my heart um so <laughs> i, I feel like that. it's fun for me so to me this is a song it's like again there are nine songs on this album that i will happily listen to at any point and this is one of them we'll get to the one song i would <laughs> skip later um <laughs> i i have I have nothing but affection for this song, and yet, if I'm really thinking through it and forcing myself to talk about it as we are here, I agree with you. And so, there are four songs on the album that were written by Emily Saliers, uh, Closer to Fine, Prince of Darkness, Love's Recovery, and History of Us. And I feel like in all four of those songs, you get a very clear sense of who she is as a writer, in that her lyrics are very specific they feel very grounded they're about literal things and in through through describing literal things she is searching for spiritual fulfillment or romantic fulfillment but she starts with something grounded in her quest for something large and then every other song in the album was written by amy ray and with amy ray i feel like 
her songs almost always, at least in these early albums of theirs, start with a feeling. There's a there's a sense of rawness, a sense of rock energy in them, and it's like the lyrics are much more likely to be vague and poetic because it's. And, and I don't know her. I don't know what she would say about this, but it's almost like the feeling is what drives her first, whereas it's the idea that drives Emily first. And I think that's why we end up with a line that opens to cure yourself, which is, in the ink of an eye, I saw you bleed. Through the thunder, I could hear you scream. What? The ink yeah. of an eye? Uh, and you and know, there's just a little bit of like performative, like the plaintive catch of her voice in the intro is just a little like, okay, you can't have that and these lyri- these like sort of Renfair lyrics. That, like it's just a little bit too much for me. Agreed. And yet, at the same time, this is a great example of how what Amy Ray provides when she isn't necessarily giving you the world's greatest lyrics is a sense of melody and rhythm and uh, sonic passion that is very striking. Because especially by the time you get to the end and their harmonies are happening and you can't talk about the Indigo Girls without talking about their harmonies, obviously, there's something about the song that still feels very alive. So whereas other artists might have sophomoric lyrics and sophomoric melodies, I feel like the song structure here keeps it as a song that I'm happy to listen to. But in the grand scheme of this project, I am placing it ninth overall and giving it two points. Oh my. Um, I had it a bit higher up and it actually got bumped down minutes before we started recording because, dear listener, we have really struggled with these. Oh my god. Well, earlier, yeah, Secure Yourself actually, as recently as three hours ago, was higher on my rankings. So I totally feel you. Um, so I have it at number six, which means it and gets that is... four points. Right? Wait, five no. points, I think. Sixth place would be five points. Seven. You're right. <laughs> it's it's not Mark place. and Sarah. I'm going to let you do the counting because that's yes, what you do. It's not Mark and Sarah do math, y'all. No, it, it sure isn't. It's Mark does math and Sarah sits uselessly nearby. All oh, right, so boy. now that's an excellent that brings... segue into the next song, actually, <laughs> because I had many kid fears about mathematics. Oh, so yes, of course, Kid Fears is the third song on the album, and it features, which for me at the time at least, was a surprise cameo from Michael Stipe in the last two minutes, because you don't really expect him to show up, and then he does, and I selected a clip from this song as one of my choices, and we'll hear Michael Stipe's uh, entrance into the song, so let's go ahead and listen to that clip now. Are you on fire? Are you on fire? From the years. From the years. What would you give for your What would you give? What would replace the red, the stars above? The place the need was love. 
Would you like me to talk for a while? Whew. Yes. All right. I then. am actually crying. I'm actually crying. So yes, I think um, you I I like this song. I wish. I wish that it had been done a little differently. Um, I mean, this is, again, one of these songs that makes this album, to me, like a family member. That even its imperfections are like, that's just love. That you don't love people because they're perfect. You love them because they aren't. And because you know every imperfection of them. And certainly, uh, I know every imperfection of this whole album, like on a DNA level. At this point, um, it it's so much greater than the sum of all of its parts, this song. Like, I think that the feeling in this case, like, p- puts like a, I don't know how to express it. Like, the presence of Michael Stipe does not actually add to it for me on paper. Um, the, the chord structure is a little predictable. The, the super earnestness of it is just the kind of thing that uh, 16-year-olds of my personal acquaintance annoyed people in coffee shops with in 1990. In spite of all that, it's this... You feel like you're eavesdropping on something. Like, there is mm. this, like... Mm. It's like looking at something through a raindrop to use a um, <laughs> overheated image that they would probably love and may in fact have used. <laughs> Sorry, girls. Um, yeah, I don't, I'm not a like music theoretician. I can't point to why it works, but it's like, I can point to all the things that mean it shouldn't, but it, it still does. Mm. Mm-hmm. Number four. Ooh, Mark. so that gives it seven points for you. It does. So not, for me, I feel I still feel like um, unsure of that ranking, but we gotta we gotta do this. We gotta move. Yeah, on. we 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 committed ourselves to making choices. Yes, we so we this did. Is, That's th- part of being an adult. <clears throat> it is with kid fears that my objectivity is uh, laughably beside the point. It's like, oh hey, objectivity, you're real cute. This is a great <laughs> time for you to go over there and get you a high C. Yeah, exo cooler, fine, have two. I'm gonna be over here. <laughs> Because for me, I know for a fact that the lyrics to this song are not good, right? (laughs) Guess what? I don't give a fuck. Because the emotional power to me of their three voices intertwining and certain sections of the song coming back and you think it's over and they come back and... Emily, with the way that she growls the line, the ones that you love at the end, and something even just about the quiet moment before Michael Stipe's voice enters, it is like a bell being rung inside of me. Even to this day, I've heard this song so many times, and I swear to God, it makes me cry every time. And also, I can remember so clearly being a junior in high school, so this would have been actually the so the spring of 96, because my junior class, American Studies uh, class, took a trip to New York City and the Northeast to do some American history-related stuff. And I can remember being on the bus, listening to this song on my white and orange Discman. That was like the sports Discman. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. And I can just I remember one. feeling so full 
with my emotions about this song and wishing that I could just invite everyone on the bus into my emotional experience with me. And the Indigo Girls created that feeling for me so many times. I can remember being a freshman, uh, no, a sophomore in college. This was right at the end of my obsession with them. And just having to, when I parked outside of the house where I lived, crank up shame on you and just dance outside my car because I was just so suffused with the emotional power of the way their music made me feel. But for me, it is the two minutes that I selected for this clip that gives me more emotional response than on almost any piece of music I've ever heard in my entire life. Or at least I should say, if not more than any single moment, it is the most consistent piece of music in terms of making me feel. And that is why, actually, for me, it is my number one song, and I'm giving it 10 points. Very good. Oh, so... Now that I've had a moment to collect myself, Sarah, I think this is an exciting time to talk about something brand new that's happening today. For those of you who were listening at the top of the episode, you may have noticed that we mentioned that this episode is sponsored, and that is really exciting for us because it helps us keep the lights on. But it also means that there are going to be certain times now in the future of the podcast when products that we actually feel like we can talk to you about and care about will be sponsoring episodes. And uh, this time it's, as we said before, Aaron's Faces. And that is a line of health, skincare, and beauty products that is created by a woman named Erin who lives in New Jersey and she makes all of these things herself. All of her stuff is organic, whatever, whatever. But I will tell you, the reason that I am excited to have her here is I actually reached out to her because we, my husband and I actually use her products. Uh, one of the things we use is this uh, body wash that's called Lavender Baby. And it's just made from lavender water and lavender oil. And there's nothing synthetic in it. And it doesn't have any sulfates in it. And it's vegan like all of her other products. And it's just really smells good. And it makes me feel really clean. And I really like that. And then also she has this aroma therapy spray that she makes. And it's... Uh, comes in all of these uh, scents, grapefruit, peppermint, lavender, but also for my particular taste, cinnamon. It's like the greatest air freshener I've ever used. It's actually got essential oils. Again, it's not synthetic, and it just really makes my house smell like a cinnamon stick. And it really does eradicate bad odors, and I just really like it. And so I felt pretty great about being like, hey, Aaron's faces, we'd love to have you on the show. And, uh... Yeah, that's my story. And I oh, I will say, too, that Aaron's Faces is offering a 10% discount to anyone who listens to our show. So if you go to her website, Aaron's Faces, E-R-I-N-S-F-A-C-E-S dot com, and you enter the discount code Mark and Sarah, all one word, no spaces, Mark and Sarah, you will get 10% off your purchase. So, Sarah, that's what I think about that. I could not agree more. Uh, super customer service over there. And just so you know, so you can get that discount code, Mark is spelled with a K. Sarah has an H on the end. That's Mark and Sarah, all one word. And I will be back a little bit later to talk to you about some face and makeup products that I received from Aaron's Faces. That's Aaron'sFaces.com. Hey, but now so, I think it's time. That was a happy thing, but now we've got to talk about dark things. <laughs> The yes. Prince of Darkness, if you will. <laughs> yes, I'm I'm not sure I will. Let's listen to a clip and then let's talk. Let's do.
tried to make this place my place. I asked for providence to smile upon me with his sweet face. Oh boy. <laughs> I. Okay. Uh, n- no, no good. Um, that. T- doing her cocaine. That line has bugged the shit out of me for almost 30 years. I don't know why. Like, of course it's her cocaine. And, although, actually, if she were doing someone else's cocaine, that would actually increase the, like, um, narrative interest of the lyrics for me. Um, I don't know. Like, musically, I, I like the song. But it feels like a mockier first draft of Closer to Fine. Mm-hmm. The lyrics are like, instead of being precise for me, they're too on the nose that the guitar drops out for that line, gluttons of our doom. I just, (laughs) I can't, like, it's just, there's just too much. Like, the big notes are too big. It's a little too long. Like, I'm not going to cross the street to, like, yell at the Indigo Girls about the song. I don't hate it, but I don't like it number nine how do you feel Ooh, ooh, number nine that's that's uh, a mere two points for the old yeah, prince it's... of d <laughs> well the, the prince of d uh, is a different uh prince of d podcast. is actually that was my nickname in high school oh, <laughs> oh uh, only the prince th- that's not what i heard boo <laughs> okay hello <laughs> the prince and the duchess together i suppose the duchess <laughs> of d Oh my god, I want to be known as the Duchess of D. And so it shall be, henceforth. Yes, I, have. I accept. Um, yeah, I, I feel like that... Ah! I'm sorry, like you... please continue oh, very serious no. business. Like you've been saying, um, I love this album. I will never skip this song. I am aware that this song is really serious like self-serious i appreciate that emily sailors is trying to write about the attempt to have a spiritually meaningful life and the feeling that as a young person at least that's how i interpret this song that as a young person it is difficult to have a spiritually meaningful life and that she is choosing not to be pulled down by forces of cynicism or temptation or addiction or whatever and I feel you, girl, but I think that later on in her career, she would write songs that made these same points more effectively and less uh, sophomorically. I'm thinking of a song called Leads, for instance, that's on the album Shaming of the Sun. So, yes, I think this song is definitely carried along by the fact that it's got a nice melody. And again, again, every time, their harmonies are always so nice to listen to that it will allow me to apologize away for a bunch of stuff that being said though prince of darkness lands squarely in the middle of this uh, ranking for me i put it in sixth place and i give it five points huh which which means that you and i did an exact swap of secure yourself and prince of darkness huh so moving along to blood and fire about which i don't have a ton to say i this is a great song to have on like on our january road trip for some reason like when Mm. you're coming down Mm -hmm. out of some mountains at sunset and there's like that 
like scummy snow on the shoulder and you're just feeling kind of that Sunday afternoon like plaintiveness in your life that song goes well with that with that feeling it's kind of poetry slammy but it's also so artlessly genuine that I sort of have to respect it um but the end I always feel a little uncomfortable listening to the end of this song I feel like I'm listening to something I shouldn't be hearing huh because it's so intense and needy and I'm like maybe they like that's really that's really putting it all out there um so yeah it's it's not my favorite on this album it's actually a little difficult for me to listen to but I like I respect it Mm. what do you think about it I actually love it for the reasons that it makes you turn away, but I think they're probably both coming from the same place, our responses. Yeah, yeah, I think so. This is, to me, one of the things that Amy Ray, who wrote this song and is the only voice on it, does best. She just goes for it and just lays herself bare in a way that feels so remarkably confessional. And I remember hearing one time, and I don't know if this is apocryphal or not that she eventually stopped singing the song because she could no longer access the emotion that she felt when she wrote it and she felt like she could not do it justice anymore which makes sense to me actually if that is in fact true that does make me like the song a little more and huh yeah I, i just think it is it's naked and it's to me a forerunner of her cover of mark knopfler's romeo and juliet which comes on their album uh rites of passage and I actually think that her lyrics are pretty good here, too, because rather than trying to get at something grand or cosmic, she's just trying to specifically explain how much pain she is in because of a broken love. And I really like that. Um, As you may have guessed, dear listeners, I get into a song about some sad shit. (laughs) <laughs> like if it's a if it's a country or folk or rock song about something sad jason isbell hello then i will be here for you and that's why for me i put this song fourth and gave it seven points um i have this song eighth that's three points i also like a sad song but i feel like this is um not the best handling of this kind of thing that she has ever done fair enough um, well, that brings us now to another uh, Amy Ray cut. This is one of the more up-tempo hits on the album. It's called Tried to Be True, and let's listen to a sample. When I was in high school, I wrote a poem about loving to drive my car around and how free that made me feel. And I remember so specifically that there was a line in the poem in which I said, when Amy starts singing about tried to be true. Okay. And I remember it was about, not about. 
when oh. Amy starts singing about trying to be true. Well, look, the... Scansion's a bitch, Duchess. You did exactly. what you had to do. <laughs> but the sad thing is, I cannot find that poem. My mom turned our attic upside down, and she found lots of other embarrassing poems I wrote at the time. But <laughs> this this poem is lost. But that's okay. We can just imagine what it could have been. Uh, but I will say I think that... in some ways that's almost better. Yeah. To just imagine <laughs> all the other... Yeah. It's like how you don't actually... If you, if you are making uh, a work of art about another work of art, you don't show the work of art. You just let it linger in the audience's imagination. <laughs> but uh, yes. I I just really love this song. It puts me in a really good mood. Lyrically, I think it's a, I think it's about Amy's uh, fractured relationship with someone who went on to be famous and uh, replaced Amy Ray's hand with the world or I think that that's what it's basically about but in a way it doesn't really matter to me what the song is about what it really is about to me is that kick and beat those great like the do 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 parts with the drums and then what separates me from you now which is just really fun to sing I also think it comes at the perfect time on this album it is the moment that I think we really need a super fast rockin' up-tempo cut. I have always, always enjoyed it for that, and it is my third place song on this album. I gave it eight points. Um, excellent. Uh, I love that you can hear the other members of REM on the on the chorus there. Yes, yes. Which I don't think I. I mean, it's it sounds so that sort of yowl is very REM. Yes. Um, when. When you're listening to this album straight through now, without the benefit of like listening to the tape click over, having to like physically <laughs> pick up an LP, this does feel a little bit strained and like they needed a quote up song to start side B and they were told by the record company enough crying into your Felicity sweater, like g- give us a rave up. But do you think they were wrong? I, I think that that was no. correct. No, I don't think they were wrong. I think this was, given that I don't think it necessarily came from a place of, like, um, authentic, like, you know, I'm not sure. Like, I think they were told to write this song. So under the circumstances, they did a great job, given that I don't think it was, like, organic. To huh. Um this song was originally lower down for me, but I realized that I had been going around singing it for four goddamn days. <laughs> and the song that was stuck in my head before that was the fucking meatballs theme. Are you ready for the summer? <laughs> so God bless this song twice. Um, <sighs> I love the end of it. I love the like, like jam at the end. And I wish that that had been moved up in the song. But that said, like this song does exactly what it's supposed to do. And it has sustain to it. So I have it at uh, number five. Very good. So that's six points from Ms. Bunting. Tis. From Indigo Bunting. And yes, speaking of things that we're trying, let's return for a moment to our episode sponsor, Aaron's Faces. Uh, I had not been familiar before... uh, before the sponsorship with these products. And so I had a little uh, little discussion with Aaron about things that I might like to try. And I admitted sort of shamefacedly that I always enjoyed my grandmother's uh, perfume, which was called Tea Rose. So she sent me Rose Quench, which is an anti-aging serum. And first of all, Rose is a tricky scent. 
Uh, it can easily overwhelm. This is the perfect balance. It sort of reminds me of my grandma, but it isn't like grandma-ish, if that makes any sense. Yes. So it's a good sense memory, but it's not too old. And another thing I like is that as a, um, not really a lady, but whatever, a woman of a certain age, uh, with these products that are supposed to like basically give you a, you know, facelift while you're sleeping. I'm also an Aries and I don't like the whole thing. We're like, you'll see results in a week. No, no, no. I want to feel it working. I want to like hear sizzling. I want to know something's happening. And you can <laughs> definitely feel it like it's not unpleasant, but you definitely feel that firming uh, action happening. And then you put on your regular, um, your regular moisturizer, SPF or whatever, after you put the serum on. And it really like, I, maybe it's not actually visually doing anything, but I feel like it is. And that is like an excellent sort of complete um, face care experience for me is to feel like, you know, a couple of uh, squirts of this stuff and this lovely smell and then something is happening. So I really can't recommend the Rose Quench enough. And I also got some Liquid Shadow, which comes with a little, it looks like a lip gloss applicator uh, and makes it Sarah proof. You can't fuck it up. I got the um, Eclipse color, which is like this beautiful coppery thing that's good for day or night. It's, again, like I said, you would not believe the hundreds and hundreds of ways that I found to screw up my eye makeup in over 30 years of doing it. And this is totally foolproof. Little primer, swipe, you're good to go. Um, like I said, day to night. And it's a really nice flattering color on everyone. I also want to mention, because Erin mentioned it to me, that these products are vegan and cruelty-free, and that is really important to a lot of people, including to me. Uh, it was really fun getting to know this product, and we thank Erin for her sponsorship. Don't forget, you can get a piece of the Erin's Faces action at erinsfaces.com, E-R-I-N-S-F-A-C-E-S.com, and we have a discount code. Enter Mark and Sarah at checkout and get 10% off your order. Aaron, thank you so much. And I want to point out that as you were saying that those products were cruelty-free, I heard your cat. So it's like <laughs> your cat is like, that's right. Nobody tested this on me. <gasps> Meow. Yes. Uh, Mabel also unwittingly endorses Aaron Faces. That's Aaron'sFaces.com. All right. What's next? Uh, next oh. is, well, oh, before dear. we... What's next is me telling you that my AOL screen name in high school was Indigo Male because Indigo Boy was taken, so I did Indigo Male instead. And later, during a tumultuous period in my relationship with my parents around my sexuality, one of the accusations that was hurled at me was, why would you make it so clear to the world that you're gay by making your AOL screen name Indigo Male? And I just remember thinking... Because that's what the truth of me is. God damn it. So I am the Duchess of D. <laughs> a little Hello. respect for the office, please. <laughs> I didn't marry into this family. I was born into it, and I've earned my title on my back. <laughs> oh, boy. Well, there's, there's really no segueing from that into uh, our next song. Love's Recovery. Uh, <laughs> You're right. It's not really an elegant so, transition. 
yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's like, you've got mail, or like, recovering from, I don't know. Let's, let's not bother. Let's just hear a clip and discuss. Let's do. Oh, how I wish I were a trinity. So if I lost a part of me, I'd still have two of the same to but nobody gets a lifetime rehearsal as specks of dust or universal. So let this love survive and be the greatest gift that we could give. Tell all the friends who think they're so together that these are ghosts and the rises all Storming out, I feel safe within the arms of love's discovery. So, Sarah, I know that was a clip that you chose. Uh, what was it that brought this song to the table for you? Um, this is the this is the one where I get. Uh, emotional there's a song on um the simon and garfunkel album the concert in central park which we definitely lived with on car trips as kids um and this happens also in their version of uh america but the song that they're singing that i'm actually talking about isn't a simon and garfunkel song it's just a paul simon song but they sing it uh they sing it together and there's this um there's this feeling of like Paul Simon is singing by himself and then Art Garfunkel comes in to sort of like support him and like take mm. his elbow in a way. And that's, that's the beauty of this song. And uh, certainly like listening to this song over the last couple of days, um, the drama teacher at my high school who I knew since I was six years old passed away recently. And I was thinking of like, listening to this song on my Walkman in the theater that was his domain and just, you know, feeling all these things about leaving this place, this school where I had gone for 12 years that I really had, like, come to hate and resent so much about it, but it was also, like, the entirety of my... Mm. Um, the entirety of me to that point. And just that line that we begin with in this clip where she's talking about being a, a trinity so that she could she could afford to lose a mm. piece and keep going. And I was just thinking about, I think what she really meant and what I always feel when I listen to the song is that I wish that were true of other people so that we could lose a piece and keep going. And that's not, uh, that's not life. It's not a, it's not a rehearsal. Um, so all these things that you wish were true about loss and having to let people go and sort of decorate around the holes in your life um or you know are just wishes but then sometimes you have your uh your partner who comes in to sing with you and help mm. you get through it um objectively speaking this is not uh this is not the best song it suffers from many of the same issues that i have um uh found you know found fault in other songs uh but 
this, I don't know, there's just something about the, she's like almost not even uh, singing, she's like thinking aloud. And there's just something so beautiful to me and sad. And this is the one that is like consistently like plucking a nose hair, le like levels of predictable that I will become emotional and tear up a little uh, about it. But that's, uh, that's a good thing. So this is my mm. number two song. Nine yeah, minutes. I can remember being a <clears throat> a teenager listening to this song and I was just at the period of my life around 15, 16, I, when I was starting to have friends who I cared deeply about who would then, for whatever reason, just leave. They would go to college. They would move. I met them at a summer program called Governor School, and we were only going to be together for four weeks anyway, and then it was time for us to mm -hmm. go back to our respective schools, and the world that we had been in together was no longer, so we could not return there. And I can remember feeling... The mm -hmm. honesty of the line, oh, how I wish I were a trinity in my own life and feeling like, yeah, that's exactly how it feels. I wish that I remember when I would think about it and I, to this day, I still think about it this way. I remember thinking of it being like uh, it's like having three legs on a stool or something. I just I would always imagine like there was some sort of way that something could still stand on two legs because it had originally had had three but if you had take if it only had two legs and you took uh -huh. away one, then standing would become almost impossible. Or uh, and uh, or like moving from a tricycle to a bicycle is so much easier than moving from a bicycle to a unicycle. And uh, I just that that image always sure. is very powerful. And uh, the only reason that I don't have this song ranked higher is simply because, like I said before, I love nine songs on this album, and something has got to be seventh. And that is why, for me, this song is seventh, and I'm giving it four points. But I'm also giving it such a truly felt uh, caress of the cheek, because I love it. I really do. Uh, that brings <laughs> us next to Land of Canaan, which neither one of us uh, chose to play a clip from, but which has the distinction, I believe, of being on the most Indigo Girls albums of any of their songs, because... It was, it was also included on Strange Fire, which was their first full-length album that they released independently, but then got re-released by Epic Records after this album uh, to mainstream distribution. So Land of Canaan is on both of those. It's also on the essential live album 1200 Curfews, where Amy, before she sings it, says that this song used to be a ballad, but then she heard the replacements and it wasn't anymore. So that's interesting to think that this song used to be really slow. Huh. Yes, right? That's so interesting because this is another one that I feel like they maybe were I'd I'd huh. rather hear the Well, I version. I wonder if you just don't care for their up tempos other than closer to fine. Oh, and Galileo. And Galileo. I take it back. Yeah. Several I mean, maybe maybe it's just on this song. Um and I remember liking this song a lot more. Uh, back in the day when sort of the, the album was new. Uh, right. I know we sang along to it a ton driving around. Um, it does seem like kind of a dress rehearsal for Galileo, both in sort of the subject matter and in the melody line and the tone. Like, I would say that this is more, like, this might be more felt than tried to be true, but it's also got that, like, and also the line, Raging Cycle, like, don't turn a bunch of fucking girls' <laughs> school seniors loose on that. 
it's just, it's not your fault. I'm just telling you, don't do it. Um, yeah, like, I like this song. It's okay. But I just feel like it's sort of a warm-up for later songs that I ended up liking better. And it it's not its fault that it suffers a little bit by comparison. But I did have this a mm, bit down points. at number well, seven. Well, do you know uh, the song Joking? You were only... I feel like that song yes. is probably the more mature version of this song. Yes. Yes. Um, You're whatever absolutely the case, right. I also have it pretty much in the middle. I have it fifth place with six points. Makes sense. And next, we have Center Stage. Uh, I'm just quickly adjusting some notes that I made, so if you have anything to say about Center Stage, please go right ahead. Um, Does it have to be something good? No, because I don't have anything good to say about it either. Oh, God, thank God. I don't like this song mm -hmm. at all. This is dead last for me. <laughs> and Mabel, too, apparently These doesn't look good. images kidding. are... My... My cat also feels um, like she should be center stage and not the song. Um, there's something about the use of the like court jester or the fool yes. in rock lyrics that like, all y'all never do that again. It's because also so tired. none of y'all Shakespeare burnt. and Stop. ain't none of y'all writing King Lear. Okay, so your fool needs oh, to go back home. Go back God. home. And the vocals that usually bail out this kind of pretension for the indigo girls are a little on the whiny side um lyrically it's like just they're just falling into you know pothole after pothole like i'm gulping smoke yes. i fade away like you you take a bong hit you write that down on a matchbook the next morning you find the matchbook in your pocket you're like i'm an asshat and you throw the matchbook away didn't didn't happen this time i also don't understand how you imply a dance <laughs> the bridge is histrionic i mean i guess um this song did not come to my house and punch me in the face and go through my mail but other than that i really got i really got nothing good to say dead last number 10 <laughs> it's Sorry, also buddies. it's also dead last for me it's the only song oh this album. yay yeah i know how weird I mean, they were boo, like delighted to share exactly it's the only song on the album I think of as not being worth my time. I've never understood why, if they were willing to take Land of Canaan from their first album, they were not willing to take something else from their earlier catalog and put it here instead of this song. They um, they just had a lot of good songs that they wrote before this album came out. So why not, for those of you listening who know it, why not say, I don't want to know, which is on 1200 Curfews. I just think that this song is... Is really, just inex it, it's just inexcusably try hard. It is. <laughs> it, oh, thank God. I just. I really I, was. I, I was really worried that we were not going to be even close on this. Which, it's one thing when it's a disco album. I know. And it's almost like fun, it, I know. It's almost like a <sighs> relief on these albums that have more of an emotional meaning for us. Where it's like, oh, thank God, we we both agree that this is the only bad song. I know. Or like, maybe not the only. I, this is the only song that I cannot forgive its flaws. This is the only one that I skip. Yeah, it, to me, if this were the if this were off the album and there were only nine tracks, the album would be peerless in a way. I yeah. mean, it's still a great album. Don't get me wrong, but agreed. So no more. Let's not waste any more time on center stage and let's move instead to the final track on the album, which is "History of Us." And we do, thanks to Sarah, have a clip. Let's listen to it now. 
Still it's canvas and oil There's just no medium For love In the midst of the <laughs> I felt a sense of rebirth In a dusty cathedral The living God called taking part in the pain of this passion play? Um, yes, mm-hmm. I am. Um, there are some, like, just, I don't know, repellently serious lyrics in the in this song, but there's also a little wink when she's like, you know, it's just canvas and oil. Like, let's all just calm down. But it, it reminded me of so many things listening to it again. It reminded me of uh, Everything But The Girl. Mm. Um, which is, a you know, that's a great group and I love them. Um, and that like simple, direct, like just singing over a guitar about, you know, the fact that you're feeling broody and there's a hole in your shoe. Um, it reminds me of, again, the end of high school and sort of walking around during the, you know, during final exams, humming this very somberly. And thinking grand thoughts about doors opening and closing like I knew fuck all at 17 about, you know, transitions and liminal periods and whatever else. <clears throat> um, but I, I like this song. This is one of those songs that feels like it was probably an afterthought. And because it's so stripped down in that way, it works. Uh, but I have it up pretty high. This is my number three song. I, I just find it very charming. And mm. it's like everything that is both good and bad at the same time about the indigo girls which is like ironic that then it takes place in a church and they're talking about the passion of the christ and this like quality of simultaneously being man and god that they're simultaneously geniuses and sophomores sometimes Mm. and so that's sort of interesting to me and i'm glad that we got to close on that note so where did you have well so this song for me is in eighth place, and I gave it three points. But that is uh, not to uh, say that I okay. do not appreciate this song. It's a cu- But for a couple of reasons, it, it came lower down. One is that, and this is not a joke, I did not really appreciate this song until this morning. Because when <laughs> I was uh, younger listening to this album, I just never listened to it. I thought it was boring. I never paid attention to the lyrics. And I have since come to believe that that is because of a sequencing sequencing issue on the album. Because it comes after center stage, I don't think that I ever had the stamina for this song. And uh, I think if this had come right after Land of Canaan, I would have been better able to hear it. Sure. Yeah, that makes but sense. But then this morning, I was listening to it one more time. And in fact, had come into listening to it last week with all of my prejudgments. So I didn't hear it really again. <laughs> but then this morning, I listened to it and I read the lyrics as I listened. And I thought, well, damn, this is actually a fairly sophisticated song in terms of its lyrics about trying to wake up from spiritual sleep and returning to your flock and the living God calling you. I, I kind of... I respect Emily Saliers for being her age and trying to write a song about her spiritual life. 
And like Emily and Amy did for at least part of their college careers, I also went to Emory University. And uh, I know that her father was a professor in the Emory University Theology School, School of Theology, Candler Ah, School of Theology. Okay. And I remember one time I saw her walking across the student center to her dad's office, and I totally followed her, sat outside her dad's office, and listened to them talk. And then I realized I was a crazy person, and I left. But for a few minutes, I just sat there listening to Emily Salyer's talk, and it was amazing. Sorry, Emily, if you ever hear this, I realized that was somewhat crazy. But at least I didn't say anything, right? I just left. Anyway, um, so I respect her for not shying away from big things like this. And now I feel like this song is kind of pretty. And it makes me think about other long, slow, spare songs that close albums, like... um, Tracy Chapman's All That You Have Is Your Soul, which is the closing song from her second album, uh, Telling Stories. Or no, no, it's from her third album, um, whose name I can't remember, but it's the one after. Anyway, I I kind of respect it as being a good album closer of this era, so that's why I give it three points and uh, in eighth place. And again, it's one of the... It's one of the nine songs on this album that I would listen to at any given moment, pretty much. So... Yeah, it reminds me, actually, we'll be... um looking at a Billy Joel, uh, William Joel song in our next episode, but it reminds me of uh, Where's the Orchestra Mm. from the end of the Nylon Curtain and then that plaintive clarinet line from Allentown that he puts in Where's the Orchestra. It's not a good song particularly, but it's sort of like, um, it like puts a button on, it puts a button on that album and then you sort of, and then the tape flips over and then you're back in Allentown. So it reminded me of that. Fair enough. Well, with now that we've reached the end of the album, dear listeners, why don't you uh, take a moment while we are tallying up our final rankings and scores to enjoy this birthday reading. All right, while Amy and Emily go change out their guitars, it's time for my latest pop chart astrology reading. And for those who don't remember, this is when I predict a listener's destiny based on the song that was number one on the day that they were born. And this week's reading goes out to Maria, and it is sponsored by her sisters, Ioana and Markella. And her birthday is March 30th, and she was born on 1977, or in 1977, I should say. And that means that she is turning 40 years old this week. And Maria, your sisters would like me to tell you, our group wouldn't be complete without Rod Stewart. All for one and a very happy birthday from Sting and Brian Adams. And let me tell you that if sisters have a joke that is about the Three Musketeers song that those three sent to the top of the charts, these sisters are my sisters in a deep and meaningful way. But in fact, the number one song on the day you were born, Maria, was not by Rod Stewart, Sting, or Brian Adams. It was, in fact, by Holland Oates. Yes, the song that was number one when you were born was Rich Girl. So let's take a moment to listen to a bit of that funky action. Uh, 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 
Uh, booty poppin', booty poppin'. I really love this song, and I hope that you do too. This song is such a great example of blue-eyed soul. There's a little bit of funk in there. There's a little bit of soul. It's a great hit that I think still sounds great 40 years later. And here's some interesting things to know about it. It was, in fact, not originally intended to be about a woman. It was intended to be about a man that Holland Oates knew, who was rich and uh, knew a friend of theirs, and he was apparently a big asshole. And so this song was written to mock him. But then when it was being recorded, they realized that it sounded a little bit more interesting and a little bit more natural to sing Rich Girl instead of rich guy. Uh, there's probably also, honestly, a touch of sexism in there and a little bit of heteronormativity, but we'll go with the official story that they've given, which is that you're a rich girl just sounds better than you're a rich guy, and it kind of does. Another thing that's interesting to know is that this song was the first number one single for Hollow Notes in 1977, and it was also their final top ten hit for four years. They did not have another top ten hit until 1981, when Kiss on My List went to number one and then proceeded to launch their massive chart-conquering string of hits throughout the entire 1980s, everything from Maneater to Out of Touch to everything else. So I want to talk to you now about how this song and its journey can relate to your destiny, and this can be personal or professional, however you see it. One of the things that I think you should take away here is that probably your greatest success is going to require a little bit of patience. Uh, because we see two things here. One, the song was not intended to be about a girl at the beginning. It was intended to be about a guy, but then it was changed. So that means that some plan that you're going to make is going to have to be altered before it can truly succeed. And then once you do have that first taste of success, you should not anticipate immediate next steps. There might need to be some time before the full flower of your reward for your early success finally comes to pass. But if you can just hang on, you'll see that the things that are happening now are going to pay off in a major way later. But it's just about being able to maintain the course, have patience, have faith. Because obviously, once Hollow Notes hit their 1981 return. They didn't go away for a long, long time, and they have tons and tons of songs that we still know today. So again, whether it's personal or professional, there's some success in your life that's going to require a little bit of ingenuity, a little bit of patience, but that will eventually lead to you having a sustained amount of happiness. And I hope that that reading uh, is meaningful to you today on your 40th birthday. And again, I love your and your sister's inside joke. And if you are listening out there and you would like to have a reading for yourself or someone that you know, just get in touch with us at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com, and we will let you know everything you need to do to get your reading on our podcast. All right, Sarah, we are back, and I have tallied up the final results. Are you ready? Ready, 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 ready. I think so. (laughs) So. Are we doing top and bottom two? Yes. Okay. So our bottom two songs are actually tied uh, for last place, but with ten points. Nope, that's incorrect. Ah, our bottom song is so far down that I overlooked it. Obviously, <laughs> oh, center stage. our bottom song is Center uh, Stage with two points. Sorry, girl, you don't even come close. <laughs> but it does say something about our overall affection for this album, that you go from two points in last place to ten points for the tie for next to last place. And that would be Blood and Fire and Land of Canaan. 
Okay. Which it's like, all right. I don't think either one of us necessarily felt that passionately about either one of those songs, so that's fine. Yeah, that works. And then uh, moving up the list, in second place with 17 points is Kid Fears. And in first place, as we could have predicted long ago, but here we still are, and I'm happy to say, first place, 19 points, goes to Closer to Fine. Not only the best song on this album, Sarah, but I would argue one of the best songs of contemporary folk rock music. I mean, it's, it's, it's a landmark essential song. It really is a great song. Um, and this was so much fun to do because there were songs that, like, I don't think I'd heard them in 15 years, 20 years, but then I could still sing along with them. Even the ones that I was like, eh. And, like, even center stage, I was like, I resent knowing every, like, grunt and yes, trill in yes. this, but mm, here we are. And uh, I rediscovered some songs that are going to go back into the regular rotation. So That's, that... this was a delight, and I can't tell you how relieved I am, again, that we agreed on the sucky ones more or less. Oh, I know, completely. Because I could have gotten emotionally fraught in a hurry. And uh, I also want to just say one more time, thank you so much to our sponsor, Aaron's Faces. Cruelty-free makeup, skin care, and body care that you can find at aaronsfaces.com, E-R-I-N-S-F-A-C-E-S.com. And Sarah, as always, it has been such an album-ranking pleasure to be with you today. And won't you pardon me as I go sing the Michael Stipe part of Kid Fears? <laughs> um, you're the Duchess of D. You give out the pardons, so... <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Fair enough. Uh, I'm the queen. Listeners, thank you, for, thank you for listening to us for 50 episodes, and we'll see you next week with some William Jones. Yes. Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship, that's me, and Sarah D. Bunting, and edited by Sarah D. Bunting. Today's theme song was written by Andrew Byrne, whom I have on good authority is very cute. If you would like to place an ad, request a song, or arrange for a pop chart birthday reading by Mark, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com, tweet at us at talksongs, or hit up our Facebook page at facebook.com slash mastass.podcast. And if you like the podcast, let us know. Leave us a review on iTunes or the podcast download interface of your choice. And please download the music you hear legally. Until next time, this is Mark. And this is Sarah. And, and this, this is Mark, Mark and Sarah talk, talk about, about songs. songs. <laughs> <laughs> I break up all my hands And I want to be addictive I want to be secure I want to wake up after the night before But do you get me? Do you ever get me? Mark and Sarah talk about songs They talk, talk, talk about Talk about songs Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.